Number 1, 2, 23. A rendering of each of six episodes. Episode 1, A Year with the Church Fathers. Don't misjudge Christ's kingdom. Take it from St. Gregory the Great. Sermon 34,2. Episode 2, Through the Year with Thomas Merton. A Dying World. No Man is an Island. Episode 3, Magnificat, January 2023, Volume 24, Number 11. Item number 1, a reading from the Gospel according to Mark, Chapter 6, Verses 1 through 6. Item number 2, Meditation of the Day, Loving Christ's Humility. Episode 4, God's Little Instruction Book, 1, 2, and 3, by Honor Books. Golden Nugget number 1, derived from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Golden Nugget number 2, derived from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Golden Nugget number 3, derived from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Episode 5, Chesterson Day by Day, taken from Heretics. Episode 6, DTTW, Death to the World. Number A, what does death to the world mean? Number B, death to the world clarity. Number C, perfection in pain. Number D, lovers of truth. Episode number 1. Don't misjudge Christ's kingdom. The Magi and Herod both had incorrect ideas about Christ's kingdom, but the Magi were willing to learn from Scripture, says St. Gregory the Great, whereas Herod was not. The three wise men, stirred up by God through the light of a strange star, followed its twinkling light as a guide thinking they would find the child and point to it, Jerusalem, the royal city. But when they found that they were mistaken in that idea, they learned through the scribes and teachers of the Jews what the Holy Scripture had foretold about the birth of Christ, so that, confirmed by a double witness, they searched with still more eager faith to find the one who was revealed both by the brightness of the star and by the certain word of prophecy. How easy and natural it would have been for these leading men among the Hebrews to believe what they taught. But they seemed to have held material notions about uh, and along with Herod, thinking that Christ's kingdom was the same sort as the kingdom of this world. They hoped for a worldly leader while he dreaded an earthly rival. The fear that racks you is wasted, Herod. In vain do you try to vent your rage on the infant you suspect. Your realm cannot hold Christ. You do not wish him to reign in Judea, but he reigns everywhere. And you would rule more happily yourself if you submitted to his command. Why don't you do sincerely what you promise with treacherous deceit? Come with the wise men and worship the true king in suppliant adoration. 
St. Gregory the Great, Sermon 34, Common 2. In God's presence, consider, do I trust Scripture in the Church to show me who Jesus Christ is, or do I try to fit Christ into my own prejudices? Closing prayer. Father, as you guided the Magi on their travels, guide me, your servant, on my own journey. Protect me from the perils in the way, and lead me to find the one I seek. Episode number two. Thomas Merton. A Dying World. Most of the world is either asleep or dead. The religious people are, for the most part, asleep. The irreligious are dead. Those who are asleep are divided into two classes, like the virgins in the parable, waiting for the bridegroom's coming. The wise have oil in their lamps, that is to say they are detached from themselves and from the cares of the world, and they are full of charity. They are indeed waiting for the bridegroom, and they desire nothing else but his coming, even though they may fall asleep while waiting for him to appear. But the others are not only asleep, they are full of other dreams and other desires. Their lamps are empty because they have burned themselves out in the wisdom of the flesh and in their own vanity. When he comes, it is too late for them to buy oil. They light their lamps only after he has gone. So they fall asleep again with useless lamps, and when they wake up, they trim them to investigate once again the matters of a dying world. No man is an island. Episode number three, taken from the Magnificat. A reading from the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Jesus departed from there and came to his native place, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard them were astonished. They said, Where did this man get all this? What kind of wisdom has he been given him? What mighty deeds are wrought by his hands? Is he not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his native place and among his own kin and in his own house. So he was not able to perform any mighty deeds there, apart from curing a few sick people by laying his hands on them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. The Gospel of the Lord. The Meditation of the Day, Loving Christ's Humility. To look at Jesus is to see humility. Learn from me, he said, to earn his passage through this world, not to be able to work miracles or to attain outstanding accomplishments, but to become meek and humble of heart. He suffered regarding his dignity, his doctrine, his reputation, and his disciples. He suffered in both his body and his soul in order to teach us to decrease. Jesus was silent whenever he was accused. 
How often, despite the fact that he could have easily confounded his enemies, did Jesus prefer to be despised and humiliated? In order to cure our pride, Jesus endured insults and disgrace and silence. O most humble Jesus, grant that we may recognize our own failings. More often than not, human praise is fickle, applause is hypocritical, and honors are two-faced lies. But we believe them because they make us feel that we are something that we really are not. We allow pride to enter in and we distance ourselves from the truth. How does one love God in a humble way? Well, I'm going to tell you. Love me for who I am without self-seeking, without thinking about what you're going to get out of it. Love me only because I am worthy of all love in heaven and on earth. Love me without ever losing trust in my goodness, my merits, or my great mercy, whatever their circumstances may be. Finally, give yourself to others. Forget about yourself with a generous self-renunciation, unobtrusively devoid all self-interest, and with the sole objective of giving me glory. May your soul harbor no self-centeredness, but let it communicate its fire, even if it were in a hidden way, on behalf of others. This will be the positive proof that your love for me is a humble love. O sweet Virgin, come to our aid and let nothing separate us from the love of Jesus. Teach us to be faithful to the inspirations of grace and free us from our enemies who wish us to fall into sin. Grant us the courage and strength to resist our passions and give us a heart like yours, for we want to love Jesus as you loved him, with that very profound humility of the handmaid of the Lord. Episode 5, Chesterson Day by Day. Many modern Englishmen talk of themselves as the sturdy descendants of their sturdy Puritan fathers. As a fact, they would run away from a cow. If you asked one of their Puritan fathers, if you asked Bunyan, for instance, whether he was sturdy, he would have answered with tears that he was as weak as water. And because of this, he would have borne tortures, heretics. Episode number six, DTTW, Death to the World. What do we mean by death to the world? The world is the general name for all passions. When we wish to call the passions by a common name, we call them the world. But when we wish to distinguish them by their special names, we call all of them passions, bodily pleasures for which comes sexual passion. Love of honor gives rise to envy, lust for power, arrogance and pride of position, the craving to adorn oneself with luxurious clothing and vain ornaments, the itch for human glory which is a source of rancor and resentment, and physical fear. Where these passions cease to be active, there the world is dead. Someone has said of the saints that while alive they were dead, 
For though living in the flesh, they did not live for the flesh. See for which of these passions we are alive. Then we will know how far we are alive to the world and how far we are dead to it. St. Isaac the Syrian, the seventh century. Death to the world. The last true rebellion is death to the world, to be crucified to the world and the world to us. With a seed of dissatisfaction deeply planted in the heart of today's society, rebellion has been a small key to unlock the doors of change. But the rebellion that the world has known is not a fullness of true rebellion. Since our times have come to a point where things can't get much worse, the few remaining lovers of truth must search deeper into themselves and deeper into the truth itself. But to get to this point, a revolution must take place. A revolution in the hearts of these lovers of truth. A revolution that annihilates all earthly and worldly thinking and that nurtures a way of thinking that is not of this world. Because that which is of the flesh is of the flesh, and that which is of the Spirit is of the Spirit. There is a grave necessity for that internal revolution, for only by this can progress be made. For how can one help a world with festering wounds until one mends one's own wounds? After this, spiritual surgery has taken place. True rebellion is an ideal that is attainable. In this age of confusion and destruction, the, nece the necessary distinction between good versus evil has been deathly confused. The result of this is nihilism, the philosophy of nothingness, that no ultimate truth exists. In nihilism there is neither love or hatred, good or bad, life or death. The result of this is the soul-destroying idea that even God does not exist. The natural reaction to all of this is an internal rebellion of the soul, for the soul cannot deny its own existence. At this point, an all-out unseen war is fully engaged. In the case of the lover of truth, the rebellion manifests itself externally in a rebellion against this corrupt world. This is good, but there are too many people who just stop at this point. Without searching any further, how can one expect to uncover the answers? True rebellion will stop at nothing in the fight for the good of the world, for the good of others, and for the good itself in whatever way it manifests itself. It is necessary to wage a revolution in the heart in order to conquer evil with good so as to have a rebellion in truth. This is the kind of rebellion that must take place or else it isn't rebellion at all. Perfection and pain. I was so young, I didn't know what it meant to be hurt and then to hurt. At the time of acute self-consciousness, at the birth of adulthood, when the soul is still innocent and open, has not been hardened, and the world is a big apple with possibilities that are seemingly limitless, and relationships can seem to be so perfect and so easily perfect 
and the soul has been just awakened to the intense sense of personhood, selfhood, and asks for the first and sometimes only time in one's life, the question of who he or she is and why or he she's here, the soul is wide open and seeks to go beyond itself. The person feels deeply and intensely, having not yet learned to block and hide these feelings which later prove too painful, and he longs to share this feeling, this self-awareness, this intensity, this pain with others, and to feel what others feel, especially those who are going through the same thing. Everything is poured out freely, sometimes too freely, and there is not attempt to guard one's inner world from being trampled on. The child who has never been hit by a car, if he or she is not told of the dangers, will have no fear of walking into a busy street. However, when the person gets older, as time passes, the perfect soul-mate relationship which began so intensely, like a wondrous blossoming flower, becoming disappointing because there was nothing higher to hold them together, and the seemingly limitless possibilities which present themselves in youth become smaller, one possibility closing itself off after another one goes further on a certain path, for each person can only take one path at a time. And then occurs what has formerly been feared and rejected, a layer forms on top of the raw person, a protective coating, and it cannot be helped, for pure vulnerability is too painful. Lovers of Truth Do not shun poverty and afflictions, these wings of buoyant prayer, St. Nihilus of Mount Sinai, 5th century. Nothing doth so hurt and dim the eye of the soul as the crowd of worldly anxieties and the swarm of desires. St. John Chrysostom, 4th century. Do not seek the perfection of the law in human virtues, for it is not found perfect in them. Its perfection is hidden in the cross of Christ, St. Hezekiah, the priest, 5th century. Sometimes we do not see any outlet, any escape from our sins, and they torment us. On account of them, the heart is oppressed with sorrow and weary. But Jesus looks upon us, and streams of tears flow from our eyes. And with the tears, all the tissue of evil is our soul, and our soul vanishes. We weep with joy that such mercy has suddenly and unexpectedly been sent to us. St. John Kronstadt, 20th century. Do not be greatly disturbed by the arrangement of your fate. Have only the unwavering desire for salvation and understanding before God. Wait, await his help until the time comes. St. Elder Ambrose of Optima Mystery or Monastery, 19th century. Remember always, if your way of life is hard and sorrowful, it is correct because you live in comfort, wealth, and honor, and still more in carnal pleasures. You are on the road of perdition, 
It is quite impossible to attain serenity of mind without enduring many sorrows and depressions for many years. Father Confessor Ilion of Mount Athos In suffering, something goes on which helps the heart to receive God's revelation. Hiram Monk, Seraphim Rose, 198 The man who is sent unceasing sorrow is known to be especially under God's care. St. Isaac the Syrian, 7th century Have courage, faith, hope, and love in God, patience unto the end, to gain your immortal soul which the whole world is not equal to. Elder Joseph the Hezekast, 20th century Episode 5, or, or rather, Episode 4, God's Little Instruction Book, number 1, 2, and 3, by Honor Brooks. The Golden Nugget, number 1, derived from Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 33. A marriage may be made in heaven, but the maintenance must be done on earth. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverences her husband. Golden nugget number two, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. When God measures a man, he puts the tape around the heart instead of the head. Golden nugget number three, taken from Hebrews, verse 13, chapter 5. And be content with such things as ye have. The grass may look greener on the other side, but it still has to be mowed. 